This morning we're going to continue in our series. Uh, we started a series last week called Deliver Us. And so we are um, in a series and have started a series about the 10 plagues of Egypt. And so we've been talking and, and we talked last week and spoke last week about uh, the, the whole point of the 10 plagues, the whole kind of uh, at the center of all of these things is that God is greater, God is better. And so uh, that will be a main theme throughout um, pretty much every single week. You'll probably hear me say that. And so it's, it's important for us to continue uh, in that kind of understanding, and we're going to be in Exodus chapter 7. The title of the message this morning is Serpent Eater, Serpent Eater. And so Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to be as we continue our series. We haven't gotten to a plague yet. Next week, we'll be there. But this is a time where Aaron and Moses are standing before Pharaoh and so if you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, it's going to be in Exodus chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 8. Word of the Lord says this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned his wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you that you're so good to us. And Father, I pray, Lord, that your hand would just be with us today. Lord, that you would be glorified today in every single thing that happens. And I pray, Lord, that it would not be my word spoken, but yours spoken through me. Let those who would have ears, let them hear the declaration of your word today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So like I said, we see Moses and Aaron, they, they're going before Pharaoh. And this is actually the second time that they go before Pharaoh. The first time we see in, in Exodus chapter 5, they, they go before Pharaoh and they ask simply that, that Pharaoh would allow the people of Israel to go into the wilderness and to have a feast or, or to have a celebration for their God. And Pharaoh uh, denies it. In fact, Pharaoh, he, he kind of makes this uh, statement. He's saying, who is God in, in, in Exodus chapter 5? His response to Moses and Aaron saying that God has sent us, Yahweh has sent us, Pharaoh simply says, who is God? In an act of, of defiance of Yahweh, Pharaoh is declaring himself God. In Egyptian times, the Pharaoh was a God. He, he, was, he was considered a God among men, that God had, had put his hand, uh, the gods had put their hands upon the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh was, had become a God. And so in this moment, and during their first time, it didn't go too well. In fact, Pharaoh replies and he says, what is God? Who, who, who is God other than myself? 
And then he says, you know what? I'm going to make it harsher for the Israelites. And so he says, now the Israelites must make brick, but we're not going to give them any straw. That's like making a hot fudge sundae without hot fudge. You can't do it, right? And so what, what he's saying and what they're saying is, what Pharaoh is doing is, he's saying, you know what? I, you've just made it even more difficult for your people. And so Moses and Aaron, heartbroken, the people broken as they continue to make bricks and experience more and more harsher treatment. God sees their anguish and then again sends Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh. And, and this time God says, hey, look, when, when you go, Pharaoh is going to ask for a sign. He's going to say, perform a miracle. He's going to ask for a miracle. So that way it can, you can show that that it's actually the divine. It's actually something supernatural that has sent you. It's not just simply you. And so they go to Pharaoh, and sure enough, that's exactly what Pharaoh asked for. Give, us, give me a sign. Show me a miracle. If this, really, if this God is really, has really sent you, and you claim him as, as the God, as the Lord of lords and the King of kings, if, if you're claiming this, then surely he'll answer you. And so give us a miracle. And so Aaron, he throws his staff on the ground and it becomes a snake. Now snakes in Egyptian culture, they were symbols of divinity. Snakes were symbols of, of a sovereign rule. Uh, a, there was many pharaohs have the depiction of a, of a headdress with a snake on the top of it. And the reason is, is because a uh, snake is a symbol, again, of this divine rule that they have been sovereignly chosen to rule. And so this symbol that Aaron has now thrown his staff down and it becomes this snake, it's, it's a symbol that, that, that Pharaoh is no longer the king. It's a, sim, it's a slap in the face to Pharaoh to, to sit there and say, well, well here's the, the sign, the, the, the very thing that, that you wear on your head, this serpent, this snake is, is, is here. And, it, and I command it, and it's not you, because it's God. Now, when you read the translation of this, the word used here for snake, it's not often used to refer to an actual snake. In fact, it's, it's, it's better translated, not as snake, because we, we would like to think that maybe he threw down his snap and it became, you know, kind of like this little cobra or, or something like that. But, but what, what is actually happening here is the translation is great serpent. We see this translation in other places throughout the Old Testament. We see in, in Psalm 148, verse 7, it says, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. The great sea creatures, that's the same word for serpent that's being used in this passage. We see it again in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1. It says, in that day the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. This Leviathan, that's the same word being used. We see again in, in Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 3, it says, speak to him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, you great monster lying among your streams. You say the Nile belongs to me, I made it for myself. Again, that great monster translation is the same as when we see snake 
here. And so this isn't your average run-of-the-mill snake. This isn't your, your average, you go to the zoo and, and you walk into the, to the reptile house and you see all the snakes. This isn't your average one of those. This is a great serpent. This is a, a terrifying thing. This is, this is something that is, is monstrous. And Aaron's staff becomes this monstrous, terrifying serpent. This beast. And so... Pharaoh calls in his wise men and his sorcerers, and they do the same thing as Aaron. These sorcerers, I think it's important for us to note because a lot of times we can get so caught up in, well, how in the world did these sorcerers do what they did? All right, well, well, you know, there's some theories that there's a nerve on the back of a snake that, that you can press really, really hard and it becomes rigid. And, and so, therefore, you know, they, they, were, they had snakes already, and they were already rigid, and so when they threw them out, they became snakes. There's, there's thoughts that maybe they encased the snake within the staff, and so when they threw it down, it broke, and the snake came out. There's a bunch of different theories, but I think in some ways, we begin chasing the rabbit down a different rabbit hole, and the main point of, of this passage is not how in the world did this other sorcerers do it. The point of this passage is that two men who were, I mean, Moses was educated, but the other one was a slave, two Hebrews, not connected to the Egyptian gods, were just as powerful as the greatest wise men and sorcerers in Egypt. What happened in, in this passage is that Pharaoh didn't just call up a couple of guys that he knew practiced sorcery. He called in the best of the best. He called in the top sorcerers. He called in the, the brightest in all of Egypt. He had to call upon the best that he had in order to match what Aaron, a slave, had done. Think about that for a moment. The greatest kingdom of that time the most powerful place in the world was shown up by two men. One of them was a slave and one was an exile. He had to call in the greatest. More important part of this passage is the point of the passage. The most spiritually powerful people in all of Egypt had to be called in to match the miraculous work of two untrained men. In an instant, I think this is interesting, as, as I was reading through and studying for this, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading is, is, it's rather humorous in verse 12. And so, in an instant, you, you think that, you know, Pharaoh, he begins to call in all these people, and, and there's all these wise men, and all these sorcerers, and all these people, and then all of a sudden, I don't think Pharaoh thought this through very much, but they all threw their staves on the floor, and they became serpents. And so in a moment, the entire room was filled with deadly serpents. And so just imagine the, the terror on Pharaoh's face being like, oh man, what have I done? What, what has just happened here? And we see that in an instant, the court was full of snakes. And then it says that Aaron's staff swallowed the others. This is a, a final moment. It was, is really important that we 
see this because this is kind of the point of the entire passage. It's not that Aaron did a miraculous work. It's not that Pharaoh's sorcerers did something miraculous as well. It's that Aaron's miraculous work, that the one that God was in was still stronger, was still greater. It, it devoured, the, the word is devoured or gulped down the other snakes. This is a, the great serpent from Aaron. It swallows up the other serpents. They're, they weren't any small snakes either. Again, the, the passage is, it, it, this isn't some little measly garter snake. This is, these are giants. These are, these are huge serpents. And God's demonstration of His power through Aaron simply was that a serpent, this serpent was greater than all the others. This moment in the court of Pharaoh, it's really a foreshadowing of what was to come. That no matter how hard Pharaoh fought, no matter how much the sorcerers were involved in things, no matter how hard they tried to resist the power of God, they, were, they would fail. It would prove futile. No matter how hard the enemy fights, God is greater. And then the end is that Pharaoh still resists. Pharaoh in an instant has seen the entirety of his court overcome with serpents. And the one serpent that isn't from him, isn't from his people, has now devoured every single other one. Becomes a staff again and Aaron and Moses stand before Pharaoh and Pharaoh still says no. Pharaoh's heart is still hardened. Even though God had presented himself in sitting there and saying, you may have, have had the symbols of royalty, the symbols of divinity, the symbols of sovereignty, and yet I am using that very symbol as a great serpent of divinity, a great serpent of sovereignty to devour all of the other symbols in this entire place. And I am showing you that, that God, he's, he's saying, I'm showing you that I am God, that I'm greater, that I'm more powerful, that you should do what it is that I'm asking of you. And Pharaoh says, nah, I'm good. He resists. Just as God said he would. And I wonder this morning what powers are working in our lives right now. Maybe, maybe it's better to, to state as a question what serpents have found their way into our lives. What have you allowed yourself to be overpowered by? See, these sorcerers, they were powerful individuals. It, was not, uh, it is not to make a joke of how futile the sorcerers are. These are individuals that are, are well-trained in darkness, well-trained in the powers of hell, well-trained. They're powerful spiritually. And yet, God still overcame them. They were not enough for the Almighty. And so I wonder what it is that you've allowed yourself to be overpowered by. Maybe you've come into this place and you've allowed yourself to be overcome by pride. 
Now, there's a serpent of pride that is ransacking and, and having its way within your heart. See, how often do we as believers think that we have all the answers? We're better than them. How often do we say, yep, I, I, can, I can answer all of your questions? Brothers and sisters, if, if a believer says, I have all the answers to your questions, that's a red flag you may want to run. I'm just simply saying that part of being a believer is, is having humility. Understanding that we don't have all of the answers. That we don't know everything. Not only that, but our pride can seep its way into how we view other people. Well, I'm more, uh, I'm more godly than that person because I read my Bible more, I know my Bible more, because I pray more, because you know what? They just seem to be in this constant cycle over and over and over again of their sin, but I'm free of my sin. And so what happens is, is we allow the power of pride to, to kind of wiggle its way into our hearts and we blind ourselves to what God wants to do. Or we think ourselves as the, the savior of a certain ministry or a savior of a certain church. But brother and sister, Jesus is the only savior that we need. Jesus is the only savior that we'll point to. It's very important. We cannot allow pride to overpower us. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. What, what Paul is writing, what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, look, you may be saved, but you're saved only by grace that comes from God. It's not by anybody else. No matter how good you think you are, you're not. There is no one righteous, no, not one. Maybe it's not pride. Maybe it's unforgiveness. How often do we struggle with not being able to forgive those that have hurt us deeply? How often do we struggle with what that one person said 20 years ago to us and it still has, has hurt us so deeply and we're hanging on to those very words and, and there's a scar on our hearts. And yet we've allowed that snake, that serpent to run rampant. Colossians 3, 12-13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So many times, I believe if we've been believers for a while, We've probably come to the realization that the church is filled with imperfect people. That the church is filled with broken people. That the church is not filled with perfect people that will never let you down, but people that will always let you down because they're people. 
And we've allowed the unforgiveness in our hearts to sit there and say, but they're Christians, they're believers, shouldn't they know better? And the reality is, is they probably do, but they choose not to and they're in sin. You cannot allow their sin to allow a power within your own heart to start seeding, to to have bitterness and unforgiveness in and of yourself. It's time to forgive. Maybe you've allowed yourself to be overpowered by the old self. How often do we get caught back in our old ways of sin? How often do we, do we think back and say, man, those were the glory days back before I knew Jesus? The reality is, is that all of that is the grand lie of the enemy. Simply to, to coerce you back to a place of death, because the reality is, if you're being truthful with yourself, you would 100% know that you were dead there. You were trapped there. There was no way out there. But God. Second Corinthians 5:16 through 19 says, "So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view." Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. What Paul's writing is he's simply saying that if you're in Christ, you're brand new. You don't have that old life anymore. You don't have to live that life anymore. You don't have to go back to that life anymore. When we accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that he, he came and he lived a perfect life and he, and he died a horrible, horrific death on the cross. And when he said it is finished, he created a way for us, a pathway for us in order for us to be new. But some of us, we still think back of our lives and our, and our lives have a pull back. Our old lives have a pull on our hearts still. And the reality is, is that that, must, that that connection must be severed. You're new. You can't go back. Rather, you're new and you shouldn't go back. You have the choice to go. But being made new, why would you ever want to? Maybe you've allowed yourself to be overpowered by shame. How often do we allow what we have done in the past guide how we live now? Well, I did this back then. Or when I first became a believer, I said so many crazy things. I hurt so many people. How in the world would I be accepted by the family of God now? Sometimes we think we have this shame of of what we've done in our past. And the reality is, again, if we're that new creation, 
that we no longer are bound by our past, and yet some of us in this place, our shame of our past has dictated and dictates even now how we live. That the Lord has, has graciously forgiven you. Not only that, but He's empowered you to forgive yourself. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. If you are in Christ, there's no shame. There's no condemnation. What you've done in the past, we lay before the throne of God and we walk away from it. How much have we as believers lived our lives in shame because, I mean, let's just be real, maybe some of you, you, you live your life in shame because of the way that your children turned out. And that shame just overwhelms you. And you feel like you're nothing. You feel like you failed. You feel like you've fallen short. And the reality is, is, is that God's grace is sufficient for you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Yes, you may have a prodigal in your household. But God still sees them. God still knows their name. God still knows that you did your best in raising them. And God's grace is sufficient. There's no shame. No condemnation. It's so all of these things, pride, unforgiveness, the old self-shame. I, I probably, you know, just covered a few, but there's a lot in here probably. And I believe the Holy Spirit's speaking it to your heart right now. But all of these things, as great as they may be, when we look at them, they are great serpents. And yet, God is greater. Those serpents, they'll end up being consumed by the Almighty. First Chronicles 29.11 Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. You came into this place this morning. Morning, you can come. You came into this place this morning. Maybe one of those things that I, that I said is just really ringing in your heart. And you know, the, the reason why that's ringing in your heart and the reason why I said it is because the Holy Spirit wants to speak directly to you. Is, is, is having this, you're here for a reason. You're sitting in that chair for a purpose. There's, there's a reason why you're here today. And it's simply to hear the Word of the Lord that, that God is greater than that. God is greater than that shame. 
God is greater than that old self. God is is greater than that unforgiveness. God is greater than that pride that you've been holding on to. God is greater than all of those things. And, And the question is... Will you allow yourself, will you humble yourself enough to make God greater than those things? Because the reality is, is that he is greater, but you have to accept it. And some of us will walk out this place and be just like Pharaoh. Your pride that has become your very identity will not be left at this altar because your heart is so hard you will walk out of this place just like Pharaoh. But the call and the invitation is that you will not let that moment pass. You will not walk out those doors like that. But that you would come that you would experience, that you would know what it's like to let God be greater. Some of you, overcome by shame, will walk out those doors still in shame. And the invitation is, lay it down here. I want you to hear my heart as your pastor. My heart breaks so often for you. Because I beg the Holy Spirit to speak to us every Sunday. And I declare in prayer every single Sunday, 9.30 in the conference room when we pray. I declare, Holy Spirit, God, we can do nothing apart from you. We are nothing apart from you. You have to do something. And my heart breaks because we get to the end of the service. We get to the end of our time together. And I know that the Holy Spirit has been moving, and I know that God is speaking. Why? Because God's word does not return void. That God's word is profitable and powerful and living, that that God's word strikes down to the marrow and the bone. I know that. And yet... We walk out those doors the same way we came in. Not because the Spirit isn't moving. Not because God's word wasn't declared. But because hearts were too hard. entire series 
wouldn't be as serious if Pharaoh just said, okay. I'm preaching for 13 weeks through this whole thing. We start at the burning bush. We're going to end at the parting of the Red Sea. 13 weeks would be nothing if Pharaoh just said, okay. I wonder how often wonder how many troubles, frustrations, heartaches. I wonder how many quote-unquote plagues you've gone through simply because you haven't said, okay. Don't be like Pharaoh. Don't harden your heart. Don't leave this place hardened. If you're struggling today, if, if you would let, just be honest with me, just, just would sit there and say, Pastor, I, I'm going through all these things, and I'm just, if I'm being honest, I just really don't know if God is actually greater. There's a moment for you today to experience that, but you have to say, okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. My heart, my hope, is that we merely wouldn't leave this place. But we would tarry for a while. We would stay for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to pour over us. That we would make Jesus enough. That we would, we would make God, we would put God in his place in our lives. Or not put him in his place, but accept his place in our lives. We don't have the power to put him there. He's already there. But just accepting it. Don't harden your heart today. Let's pray, Father. Father.